A few years ago, I got a a gift from my kids at Father's Day. I'm sure some of you dads probably got one of these kind of gifts as well. I got a a mug, and on that mug, it had pictures of different members of our family at different times, special occasions. It's one of those gifts that marketers say, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know what I mean? Because every time I drink coffee from that mug, I look at those pictures, and there's some Uh, emotional warm fuzzies, nostalgia, reminiscing over those pictures. You you know what I mean, right? Uh, When I drink from that mug at the table for breakfast, the kids will look at their pictures and laugh and see how young they look or remembering the event that the picture took place. All of that to say a coffee mug by itself is not that impressive of a gift. But when you put all of those pictures around it, it becomes a gift that keeps on giving. Those kind of things have made it really easy for my life right now because when I give my mother a gift, all I have to do is put pictures of the grandchildren on it and now a keychain turns into a gift that keeps on giving or I gave her a phone cover with pictures of the grandkids so now it's the gift that keeps on giving. I'm thinking about giving her a mask for Christmas to have the pictures of the grandkids on it and so that way she doesn't even have to ask if you want to see the grandkids like everyone would see the grandkids, you know what I I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. When, when, I, when I think about that, people spend a lot of money trying to figure out ways for us to buy things for people that would last and have memories and, and would be something that would come to their mind often. And when I think about God, he gives us a gift and he gives us great gifts. James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And the primary gift that he gives is this gift of grace. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to look further into the gospel and, of Mark, and we're going to look at some of the attributes of the characteristics of God that have shown themselves in this story. And so now we talk about the awesomeness of God, and we want to talk about his grace, this amazing gift that he's given us. And I want to go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and and the first part of Mark chapter 2, and I want to talk about those three stories that, that Pastor John talked about last week, and I want to show you grace, and this gift of grace that keeps on giving. And I think those Three stories show us a little bit about grace in the different ways that we can see it. So let's take a look at it. You remember that first story that he told us last week? Is he, he told us about a, a leper in Mark chapter 1 that came to Jesus and he clearly had this skin disease and he, he looks at Jesus and he says, I know that you can heal me. But then he says, if you will. He asked him the question, I know you have the power. I know you can do this. I, I have, I, I've heard about you casting out demons. I, I've heard about the healing. People are coming to you from all over to receive these gifts, these miracles. And he looks at him and says, I know you can do it, but will you have mercy on me? Will you be gracious to me? And Jesus says this in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 41. It says, moved with compassion... Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. And then he said, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. The text says he touched him. 
Now for us, maybe we don't understand just how significant this gift is, but I think it is very significant. This isn't a guy that just has a skin disease that you go drop a copay off at the dermatologist and get a prescription and it's taken care of. This is something that there are chapters dedicated in your Bible, in the wall, to how to handle it. When I say chapters, I mean 60 plus verses going over how to identify a skin disease, how to be cleansed of a skin disease. And this is a significant gift that Jesus has just given him. Matter of fact, let's take a look at just a few of those verses in Leviticus chapter 13. If you want some reading this week, you want some devotional reading, I know you typically don't go to Leviticus, but Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 will make this little section come to life. Let me read it to you. In Leviticus 13, it says, the person afflicted with an infectious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose. That means he's supposed to wear clothes and have his hair in such a way that people would know something's wrong with him. He's got an outside identifier that he's got a skin disease. Not only that, he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. When he comes into presence with people, in contact with people, he's supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. It goes even further as he says this, he will remain unclean as long as he has the infection, as long as it shows itself on the skin, and he is unclean, and he must live alone in a place outside the camp. Numbers 4 tells us that if we were to touch somebody that is deemed unclean, we ourselves become unclean. I mean, can you imagine what all has gone into it? Leviticus tells us you have to go to the priest and they quarantine you for seven days to see if the infection gets better. And then they're looking at the color of the hair. And then in seven more days, they do some more inspection. And then in seven more days, they do some more inspection. And it is a long, arduous, tedious process from this clean and unclean for this man. He's been deemed unclean. He's having to live alone. He probably hasn't had much social interaction, and if he has, it's been at a distance. We can relate to that, right? And then Jesus touches him, and he's clean. He's healed. This is a gracious gift, and it's not just a little gift. It is a It's an overflowing gift of grace to this man. It is super abundant. It is significant. It has great size and effect. This man's life is changed. You're you're talking about him being able to go home and receive a touch from his family. You're talking about a man that no longer has to live outside the camp, but now can live in and amongst his people. You're talking about a man that no longer has to identify himself by what he wears and how he wears his hair to show that he's unclean. He no longer has to shout, unclean, unclean, as he sees people approaching. His life is changed. It is overflowing with grace. It is significant. It is super abounding love that God gives this man, that Jesus gives this man. When I think about this gift, I I think about it being just a small example of the overflowing, super abounding grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you in 
the, the book of Romans is Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. As he talks about this overflowing grace, he says, So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. That one trespass is, is Adam and Eve's trespass, right? And so as a result of their sin, the rest of us are condemned. He then says, So also through one righteous act, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus... There is life-giving justification for everyone. Now, Paul's going to say it again. For just as through one man's disobedient, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought down this disobedience, and Jesus was obedient, and he brought righteousness. Now, you might be saying, where's the overflowing part? Here it is. You ready? The law came along to multiply the trespass, multiply the sin, to show us how sinful we are. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. There it is. It's overflowing. It's super abundant. He says, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is, this eternal life, this idea that this is a gift that keeps on going. Jesus Christ, one act of obedience, it overflows to the rest of us so that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can have this significant, super abounding grace in our lives multiplies, it says. Let let me give you another one. As Peter says this in his epistle, he says in verse chapter, uh, chapter one, verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied. There it is, overabounding, overflowing to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Then he says this, his divine power has given us Everything required or everything we need for a life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything we need because grace has been multiplied to us. What an amazing gift. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's not just that I put my faith and trust in Jesus and now I have eternal life. This says I have everything I need for life and godliness. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It is overflowing. That's the first story. But grace is deeper than that. It's not just overflowing. The next story that John told us about in Mark chapter 2 was about the, the paralytic. You remember him? He had four friends who were bringing him to Jesus. As Again, there was a big crowd around him. They were probably in Peter's house, and they were going to listen to Jesus teach. And these four men bring their paralyzed friend to the house, but they can't get in. There's such a big crowd. So one of them says, hey, let's go to the roof. And they start pulling the roof off. And you remember John's telling this story. People are probably thinking, what in the world's fallen from the ceiling? And they lower the man down into the house. And everybody's probably flabbergasted at what's happened. There's probably people questioning. They're wondering, what is Jesus going to do? And he says these words in Mark chapter 2, verse 11. He says, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. I wasn't there, but I can imagine there was silence. You could have heard a pin drop. The house was full. Stuff was still falling from the the ceiling, the roof. But I'm telling you, I bet everyone was quiet because now, 
You know what those words mean. Jesus spoke these words to have an effect, to have a desired outcome. And that desired outcome is that this man would be healed. Would it happen? Would it take place? Everybody's just holding their breath to see what would happen next. And look at it. Verse 12. Immediately, I love that, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, immediately, right? It happens all over. He says, immediately he, the man, got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. Let me show you what this gift is, because this is another amazing gift, right? If the gift to the leper was overflowing, this is a gift that is overpowering. It's effective. The theological word would be the efficacy of grace. It goes and accomplishes exactly what it set out to accomplish. Jesus' words were powerful. So powerful that when the man heard them, he got up. He rolled up his mat and he walked out. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be clear. I don't think he wobbled around. I don't think this was like a toddler learning how to walk and maybe falling backwards. No, no, no. I think the man got up like he'd done it a million times before. I think he bent over and rolled up his mat and threw it up under his arm like he'd done it a million times before. And you know what? He didn't have to go back up through the roof. It says he walked out in front of them. (laughs) I can imagine him looking up to his fellas up in the roof and saying, deuces, I'm out. And he walks out with a strut like he'd walked a hundred times before. It was powerful. God's God's words, Jesus' words were so powerful. They overpowered this sickness. They overpowered nerve endings. They overpowered the atrophy in his muscles. They overpowered everything to give this man this amazing gift to get up and to walk. Again, I think this is just a small picture of the effective, overpowering grace of God when he gives us the gift of Jesus Christ. Check it out in Hebrews chapter 9. Let me show you how powerful it is. In Hebrews 9, it says, Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world, talking about Jesus. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Look at it. One time, Jesus' whole purpose of coming was to die on that cross, to be buried for three days, and on the third day, come back to life for the forgiveness and the removal of the penalty of sin. And look what happened. It was accomplished one time. The author of Hebrews goes on and says this in Hebrews chapter 10. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. Do you see that? It never works. It isn't effective. It isn't overpowering. These guys had to offer these sacrifices over and over and over because they weren't ultimately powerful. This man, Jesus Christ, after offering one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice. He did what he set out to do, and he accomplished his purpose. 
he overpowered sin and death. This gift of grace is overflowing and it is overpowering. And we have life because of it, because of the effectiveness, the efficacy, the overpowering nature of the gift of Jesus Christ. One more. Overwhelming. Grace is overflowing. Grace is overpowering. And grace is, it's overwhelming. Think about that last story that, that John talked about. Remember, he, he's going to call another disciple, Levi, or we know him as Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector, and he's probably got his little tax booth set up there, right there by the Sea of Galilee. And as people are trading, he's taking the top right off. He, he's getting the tax right off the top of their, their income. You can imagine people dread seeing that tax booth. They dread seeing him because most tax collectors were, they were extortioners. They would, ex, they, just, they would abuse their governmental authority to get more and more money to fill their own pockets so they were hated and despised. But Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Then something crazy happens. Jesus goes to Matthew's house and he's hanging out there and the text says that he is reclined at the table sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners, more of them, because who in the world is Matthew going to hang out with? He's hanging out with more tax collectors and, and sinners. Matter of fact, let's take a look at it in, in verse 16 of Mark chapter 2. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you see it there? Twice in that verse. Tax collectors and sinners. And then earlier on in verse 15, it makes it clear he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Three times Mark is wanting us to see that. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word sinner, but it's not just this idea of passively sinning. The word sinner there, I think, has the idea of somebody who is in willful rebellion. Somebody who is willfully rebelling against God and his law. And Jesus has made his way to the table. He's not hanging out with the scribes. He's not hanging out with the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He's not hanging out with just his disciples or people who are trying to be good. He has gone to the people who are willfully rebelling. And this is what the religious elite are asking. Why? It's overwhelming. That Jesus would give his presence and his time to people who would be deemed unworthy. It's, it's what we would say theologically is incongruent grace. It's, it's just overwhelming that this good, holy, awesome God would send his perfect son to hang out with wretched people like you and me. It doesn't make sense. It's overwhelming to think that he wants to spend time with us. And again, I think this is just a, a small picture of, of exactly how the ultimate gift of Jesus was going to be for everyone. Let's take a look at it in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me see if I can show it to you. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's me and you. We were separated from God in our trespasses and sins and 
in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. That was us in willful rebellion, the text says. According to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. This even actually makes it look like we were, we were loyal to the, to the enemy of this world. The next passage says this. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. That, that's what we were doing. We were walking according to our ways. We were willfully rebelling against God carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. But check out verse 4. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy or grace, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we are dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. That's it. That is the overwhelming, incongruent grace of God that we were walking in the way of this world, willfully rebelling against God and his ways, yet he sent his son down here to save us by this gift of grace. It's overwhelming that it could be applied to us or to tax collectors or to sinners or to any of us. It's overwhelming. Paul says it this way, as he talks about himself and how incongruent this is. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Because this is not, I'm not worthy of this. I, I, this is incongruent. I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be a part of this movement called Christianity. Why? He says, Because I persecuted the church. He actually says it lightly there. When he says he persecuted the church, he was murdering Christians. Paul goes on and says this, But by God's grace I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. He says, I stand here because of this amazing, overwhelming, incongruent grace of God. I don't deserve it, but I'm here. I'm here. Isn't that amazing? God's grace is overpowering. It's overflowing. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Let me show you one more passage. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. There it is. And he has given us a gift that keeps on giving eternal life. It's going to go on for eternity. And this gift is overflowing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood washes a multitude of sins, the text says. He covers us. He bought us. He redeemed us. It is significant. It is overflowing. But this same gift is also overpowering. As he rose from the dead on the third day, the resurrection shows he has overpowered sin and death, and I have been made alive with Christ. And so have you if you've put your faith and trust in him. And finally, this gift is overwhelming. I mean, can you imagine us, far from God, sinners, that we would be people who would be seen as 
children of God, loved by him, adopted into his family, I'm the last person that should be a part of that. God's grace is, it's overflowing, it's overpowering, and it's overwhelming. I guess my question for you today is this. How do you respond to it? It's kind of like when you get that coffee mug that's got all the pictures on it. If you only look at the coffee mug, you might be thinking, nah. But if you look at all the pictures, you remember those good times. You're reminded of the people you love and who you want to be around. And as I read these three stories in Mark, I don't just go, oh, nice miracles. I say, wow. Because I'm reminded that that's exactly the same grace that's been extended to me. I may not have had leprosy. I may not have been paralyzed. And I may not have been a tax collector. But I was unclean because of sin. I was in desperate need of somebody to tell me to get up and walk. And I was clearly separated from God, unworthy of his presence. And it makes me want to worship here at Radius Lexington, this Sunday morning, we're going to sing a song after the sermon, and it's going, to, it's going to be Death Was Arrested. It's the song. Maybe you want to listen to it here in a moment. The chorus says this. It, it says, by your grace so free, it washes over me. I have been made new. I've been made new. And your love pours over us. It washes over us. I have been made new. My life begins in you. That's who we are. This grace so free, his love washes over because it's overflowing, it's overpowering, and it's overwhelming. God is awesome in his attributes, and he is awesome in his grace. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, as I I think about a leper who had his life changed because of this overflowing grace of Jesus to reach down and touch him, to risk being deemed unclean himself, changed his life forever, to be loved, to be able to go home, to be able to be hugged by his family. And then, Lord, I think about the the paralytic who whose physical state was overpowered by the words of Jesus and how for us our spiritual state has been overpowered because Jesus has told us that our sins have been forgiven. And then, Lord, I'm overwhelmed that you would want any part with me. I am evil. I am wicked. I I have thoughts that are embarrassing And yet you want to be with me. You love me. You call me your son. And so for all of that, we want to worship you. We want to say thank you. We want to make much of you and your gift that keeps on giving. Thank you for all of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.